going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and this is another episode of the Facts Project. Today, all right, I'll just put it out there. I went to go see Suicide Squad. And I am pleasantly pleased with the project. See, this is, I feel as though DC has been at odds with themselves. They've been having internal fights with themselves this entire time. And it's sad, you know. But all it took was a little bit of director mutiny. James Gunn coming aboard, doing exactly what he needed to do with DC. As a matter of fact, he chose the same formula that he did for Marvel. Because you have to ask yourselves, did you know who Guardians of the Galaxy was before you even watched them? Do you know who Star-Lord is? Do you know who Drax is? Do you know who Gamora is? Do you know who Mantis is? Do you know who Rocket Raccoon is? Did any of these characters, you know, fester in your psyche before they were actually introduced? Probably not. So, otherwise, James Gunn, of course, when he gets done with Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, once those two methods of business are pretty much over with over at Marvel, he's kind of, I can't call him a free agent because DC pretty much has him in and it was kind of like Suicide Squad was a test run for him, right? And I think the man proved his point. Because he did not take over a franchise of one of their most popular mainstay characters. Nobody from the Trinity did not do a Batman film, did not do a Superman film, not doing a Wonder Woman film, not doing an Aquaman film. He decided to do Suicide Squad. David Ayers basically a few years ago gave us uh, a version of Suicide Squad that was like, okay. You know, introduced us to a lot of characters that we probably would have never seen before. And in that same breath, you know, James Gunn took a lot from that. And was like, you know what? I feel as though this franchise would be perfect for me if I was to do my first movie with DC. So pretty much in the movie, you got your cast of characters. You got um, you got uh, I'm sorry, your cast of characters from the last film. So you got Rick Flagg, Colonel Rick Flagg. Uh, Harley Quinn, Captain Boomerang was in it. Um, Amanda Waller back with her Viola Davis, her diabolical self. Lord only knows that woman is a goddess as an actress. You know, she can do no wrong. And she plays that part to perfection. But the, the biggest thing is about Suicide Squad that people don't know from the comics is that Uh, Amanda Waller treats most of the prisoners that are locked away within the United States. Uh, She's, of course, working for the United States government, and she treats them as expendable factors and planting them with bombs in the back of their heads and orders them to do missions, you know, in ordinance with the government because she deems them expendable. And if they get killed on these missions, so be it. They're prisoners. So when we get to this movie, and I like the way that James Gunn put this into perspective, like he shows you uh, a way of cinematography where he's showing you two point of views, because ultimately, when this movie first came out, 
you kind of got the inclination that there is way too many motherfuckers in this movie. There's a lot of characters, a lot of characters. It was like, okay, we're going to introduce Bloodsport, King Shark, Peacemaker, Ratcatcher, Polka Dot Man. Uh, you're still going to get Rick Flag and Harley Quinn. You're going to get Captain Boomerang. You're going to get Javelin. You're going to get Savant. You're going to get TDK, the detachable kid. You're going to get Black God. You're going to get Weasel. Like, M- Mangal. Like, you're going to get all these characters. Now, the first thoughts that you pretty much were going to have in mind was like, okay, this is going to be some type of um, Ocean's Eleven type deal within a comic book movie. Not necessarily like it was going to be like a heist movie, but the thing is, you're going to play into the part of an all-star cast and pretty much dive into every you're going to create role players you're going to have some main characters and you're going to give them you want to have role players play certain characters certain character portrayals even though they might be short you know you might not be in the movie that long you're pretty much almost like a cameo in the moments of watching this movie you kind of realize okay i see why he i see why he brought so many people in for this movie because the objective was to kill at least half of these motherfuckers when the movie started. <laughs> I mean, it 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 plays into the part, if anybody remembers Deadpool 2, the introduction of X-Force. Deadpool was pretty much recruiting the team, and he was like, oh my God, I'm going to see X-Force for the first time. Shatterstar gets introduced, and, like the rest of the gang. And murked within like the first 10 minutes of them jumping off of a plane and going on to their mission. They don't even make it off the jump off jump for real. So it played into that factor because the way, the way that you have to look at it when you see these two point of views, um, let's start here where, where Savant of course, and Savant Javelin weasel Mongal, um, Harley, TDK, uh, Blackguard, they all arrive on this island, which has pretty much uh, been run by a certain uh, fascist family for a very long time. Uh, But a military coup has happened on the island. But the island also inhabits a project, notably known as Project Starfish, which is pretty much... Um, a project that was created by the the American government and yet they don't want to do it on American soil because the shit would just look fishy. So let's just pocket some money over here to this, to this Island nation uh, off the coast of South America and pretty much do our projects there. But when this military coup happens, the generals involved with the coup want to use the project for political gain for a power structure that they may not have never had. <laughs> so Amanda Waller, of course, concocts a scheme that, yeah, you know, we got to uh, we got to contain this shit. And the only way to do it, because this coup has happened, is to take out their regime and resume control of the island. So she brings in that first squad first. And that first squad is fucking murked. Unbelievably. Like, if you haven't seen the movie, good God. Uh, oh, by the way, 
I'm spoiling this whole fucking movie. So if you want me to, if you want to stop, you can, you can hit pause and come back to this motherfucker later or (laughs) keep on listening. (laughs) But upon everybody on the island getting murked, Rick Flagg and Harley ended up being the only ones who pretty much got away. And all the while, because Amanda was cocking her plan, she wanted to set up an expendable crew first that the army would get um, attracted to, otherwise causing a distraction for the other crew on the opposite side of the island to jump aboard. And that starts the journey of this current mode of the su- of Suicide Squad. And that's King Shark, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Ratcatcher, and... Uh, polka dot man so ultimately this whole gang and their their power scale their hilarious unbeknownst to anybody like their 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 personalities were perfect for this like james gunn pretty much okay i'm gonna devise these personality traits to a t so that where they're gonna come off as hilarious because you, you have to look at it and be like okay Bloodsport and Peacemaker may look like the same person, but I guess from the outside looking in, Bloodsport is a mercenary. Of course, does his thing, kills people for money. Peacemaker looks like a mole for the U.S. government and ultimately becomes one later on in the movie to where he feels as though he's doing the right thing, regardless of the fact that he may kill men, women, and children, all in the name of liberty within the United States. Uh, Ratcatcher, of course, had this interesting backstory because she is Ratcatcher 2 and only because uh, of the death of her father, she is uh, pretty much taking over his experiments of controlling rats. <laughs> now, now the thing is most of the the character abilities that i'm describing here may sound awful to you but i'm sure they blew james gunn's mind because you have to the way he's looking at it, it was like oh this this character has one ability like polka dot man polka dot man has an interdimensional disease that he harbors into these wrist bracelets and everything like that in the midst of that he breaks out into these polka dot colored hives almost every night and he has to go somewhere and pretty much regurgitate i don't know how he spews them out he pops them his pimples he might throw them up he might uh he might shit them out who knows nobody knows but all the while he's containing it into these bracelets and he can protract them like he's throwing fucking polka dots at people and I'm sure when you, when you hear that, when you're hearing me talk, they'll be like, oh, this motherfucker really throws polka dots at people. Yes. And each one of those polka dots do some harmful shit to people. OK, <laughs> but to continue on, um, King Shark, who you would pretty much see as the formidable strongest character in this movie, which he is, ends up being made for comic relief. He's I'm sure to most of the females going to the theater, he was viewed as cute and dumb <laughs> in that order. Uh, of course. And, and the thing is, what you have to realize about James Gunn is that he's pulling from um, 
the same roster of actors that he may have used in the Guardians movies. And it's something that directors do all the time. Uh, Spike Lee does it. Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino does it. Uh, Martin Scorsese definitely does it. You know, so like he got Sylvester Stallone, who he had as Dark Hawk in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, used him as the voice of King Shark. He got his brother in as like an inmate in uh, in the prison in which all the Suicide Squad members were stored. Uh, Palm Clemente, who's known as Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy, had a cameo in the bar that they all went to in the middle of this movie. You know, he knows how to pull certain pieces in order to make this shit work. He even Ratcatcher's father is Taika Waititi, which is amazing. I mean, I know he hasn't been in any James Gunn movies, but the thing is the announcement that he was going to be in the movie, even in a small role, made a difference. You know, but moving on, you know, to see how this is brought out, there is no connectivity to the DCEU or better yet, even another DC movie. You know, when Captain Boomerang and Harley see each other for the for the first time in this movie, it's kind of like, hey, what you get locked up for this time? So pretty much the last Suicide Squad movie happened. And this is a whole nother mission. You don't see Captain Boomerang that long. But the thing is, when that when that dialogue is set, it's kind of like, oh, OK, it's kind of like just a whole nother issue in a comic book. This happened in this issue. This is going to happen in this issue. Totally different, which is completely fine. And it, even even in some sectors, like there's a little bit of comic book canon involved in this, like that whole dial, um, dialogue or that um, that prologue where Amanda Lawler is describing to the rest of uh, to her analyst that Bloodsport, of course, is in prison because he shot a kryptonite bullet at Superman. That's a real thing. That is absolutely a real thing. That is something that happened in a comic book where Bloodsport, who aesthetically, how he looked, his outfit was dope as shit. How he looked in the comics looks like a black Rambo. Red bandanas and camo, all camo, cam, camouflage and fatigues all the way through. That was his outfit. This out, this uniform that they gave him in this movie, beyond dope. I don't know how they pulled that shit off. That shit looked fire. But inevitably, the main antagonist in this movie was not the uh, the military regime which had taken over casting into this island. It was not the uh, the thinker who has pretty much been an enabler and a caregiver for Project Starfish for probably the past 20 or 30 years. And even even the fact that the thinker is in this movie, like that, that's even amazing. And most of these characters that are brought up in this movie, you probably never heard of them. In comic books before you even if you read comic books, you probably was like you probably skipped past that part. You wouldn't know that Savant made his debut in 2003 in a Birds of Prey comic book. 
You wouldn't know who Javelin was. You wouldn't know who Blackguard was. You wouldn't know who Weasel is. You probably know who Captain Boomerang is because you watched the Flash show. Of course you know who Harley Quinn is. Lord only knows they weren't going to kill her. They killed a lot of people in this movie. A lot of people that, that, that were pretty much introduced to be in this movie got killed in this movie. They were not going to kill Harley Quinn. Absolutely not. But it, please, it's like that's a cosplayer's dream. No, nobody's killing Harley Quinn. <laughs> but inevitably, the the preface that James Gunn always puts into perspective in a lot of his movies is the terms of uh, great friends and family. So he utilized the um, the struggles that Bloodsport had with his daughter, that Ratcatcher 2 had, had with her father, um, King Shark and his depression of having no friends, you know, polka dot man and his disruptive relationship with his mother, which is also hilarious. <laughs> but these are the underlying factions. This is what you probably would need in order to put a great movie together. You know, you have to put feelings behind some of the characters. You know, one of the biggest things, of course, about a character like Batman and Superman is the relationship that they have with their parents and how emotional that they feel over their mothers and their fathers. You know, when you have these obscure characters that many may deem as weird or uh, depressing or obscure, you're thinking to themselves, okay, what type of, what type of home training did these people have before they became who they were you know like uh in the there's a scene in the bus where Bloodsport describes uh he, the fact that he has a to rat to rat catcher he has a he has a phobia of rats because his father trapped him in a crate for 24 hours with some starving rats and that's the reason why he has a phobia for rats now, everybody just seems to like call out a lot of their feelings about how they feel about themselves and the reasoning why they are wired the way they are. And then, you know, but that just plays into the whole movie. Even Harley. Harley gets into a. <laughs> it's, 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 it's interesting because. This movie, of course, is rated R. And you get this interpretation of Harley. Harley gets captured by uh, the future president of this island, uh, President Luna, who is infatuated with Harley. And if, of course, everybody knows Harley's backstory, relationship with the Joker, criminal mastermind, used to be a psychologist, uh, easily manipulative maybe in a sense, and absolutely deadly. So this president, President Luna, just spills his guts to Harley that he absolutely is infatuated with her, and he loves her, and he wants to marry her, but he's a dictator. 
And let, let me just say it here. She bones the man. And within two minutes of sleeping with this man, because of the fact that he starts talking about how he wants to rule and what he wants to do to the citizens of his island uh, and talking about the uh, the killings and enslavement of women and children, he gets popped in the chest. <laughs> and Harley basically saying, you know, because of her last relationship, she always said that if she had another boyfriend, if any red flags popped up, she was going to kill him immediately and she did it like it it didn't take long but like i said all of this led on to the ultimate mano imano that that was pretty it was a great finale but what led up to it was a take on some things that the American government does or maybe has done in the past. So when I told you earlier on in this podcast about uh, the American government, of course, harvesting Project Starfish on this foreign land because they were conducting experiments. The thinker, of course, is the caregiver and the enabler of this project. And he was hired by the U.S. government. And Project Starfish, if you haven't been watching the trailers, is the introduction of Starro the Conqueror, who was floating out in space, minding his own motherfucking business. And he literally tells the Suicide Squad when he's dying. He said, I was so happy when I was just staring up there at the stars. He gets taken from space probably at a small level. And when he gets taken by NASA and he basically uh, throws out extensions of himself. So that's little starfish that he attaches to human faces that he can use to for mind control, uh, psychological warfare, blah, 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 blah. Right. But when you look at it, you know, he he was a prisoner and pretty much manipulated to conduct these missions by the thinker. And they pretty much came up with their own fucking army. Starro, when he enables um, a bunch of people, when he when he's basically when he throws out more starfish on people's heads, he grows bigger. So much so that by the end of this, he is enormous, breaking out of his own prison and doing exactly what he needs to do. But there was more backlogs in this because they found out that the American government was behind Project Starfish for all this long. It turned out that there was a mission within a mission. Peacemaker probably bargained or or better yet, Amanda Waller bargained with Peacemaker and said, if you're going to come to terms and do everything on my level. I need this not to get out that the American government was involved in the first place. So I put all my faith in you to get all the documents back, even if that means killing the Suicide Squad off one by one without anything happening. 
So when we get to this ultimate battle um, to where they find out exactly what Project Starfish is, Rick Flagg, distinguished veteran working for Amanda Waller and the American government, has realized that who he works for isn't exactly who what he thought it was. And he's been subjected to be this puppet. And upon taking a little bit of the documents, there's a hard drive that that is taken. <laughs> Out of nowhere, here comes Peacemaker. Who has pretty much made his own bargaining deal with Amanda Waller and is looking to take any type of documents that would uh, scrutinize the, the United States government with them, even if that means taking everybody out. Because in order to maintain peace, sometimes you got to break a little bit of eggs. That's his M.O. So in this moment, you see the death of Rick Flagg. Unbelievably so, but it happened. And you see other experiments that are happening within uh, this uh, this tower called Jotunheim. Uh, one happens to be one that King Shark comes upon where he thinks he's he's rolled up to a fish tank and just has some weird ass extraterrestrial looks like the ghost from Pac-Man floating in this goddamn uh, fish tank. Little did he know that when the explosive charges went off, these little like these little uh, aquatic aliens were there to devour King Shark to <laughs> to kingdom come. But all the while, you know, all this is happening. Jotunheim is destroyed. To the point where Bloodsport and Ratcatcher have found Peacemaker out. And once Ratcatcher, of course, tells Bloodsport exactly what the deal is, why this is happening, that Rick Flag is dead. Bloodsport got to take Peacemaker out with one of with a dope ass move, by the way. And I don't know why he even asked the question. It was like they shot they shot two bullets at each other. And then you see the symmetry, uh, the cinematography happen where the smaller bullet enters the big bullet, destroying it. And that bullet continues going right into Peacemaker's neck. Takes him right the fuck out. And he asked why? It was like smaller bullets. <laughs> but upon getting out, you know, Amanda Waller is like, okay, uh, there's not there's nothing we can do for this island. So we pretty much have to your your, your job is done. Well, they're probably gonna have to nuke the island and we'll you know, we'll handle it on our end. To where Bloodsport and the rest of the gang decide to go the opposite direction and go after Starro. Amanda, of course, has these detonating self uh, self destruct mechanisms in the back of their heads that she could pull at any moment, just like she did Savant in the in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> her own analysts have to knock her the hell out in order to stop her from killing the Suicide Squad, and they go on the hunt for Starro. Now, in the meantime, Starro has pretty much already taken a lot of people within this island and a lot of the the military of this island uh, within his psychological control. He's thrown uh, like 
probably hundreds of his little starfish that have stuck to people's faces and they are now under his mind control. Polka dot man gets his shine for a second, but gets murked and Bloodsport has a Captain America moment. He had a Captain America moment in telling King Shark that the monster Starro was num num. It almost seemed like Steve Rogers telling the Hulk to smash. You know, like this that was that moment. And it looked like if you played that shit side by side, you'd be like, that's ex- that's exactly that's Steve Rogers. That's exactly Steve Rogers and Hulk. Bloodsport and King Shark. Just like it looked like the same shit. You know what I'm saying? Ultimately, the biggest uh the ultimate end of Starro ended uh, ended when we when we saw the true ultimate power of Ratcatcher. Uh, rat like she turned on her little beam, and I don't know where all these motherfucking rats came from. This island is fucking infested. The board of health should have been there, cause waves of fucking rats came out of nowhere. There's way more rats on that island than there are humans. I didn't understand it. Like, what if what if it was a clean island? Who the fuck she calling? <laughs> but, but there's tons of rats on this fucking island that take out Starro. Not to mention the fact that Harley Quinn jumped face first with a javelin into Starro's eye. But at the end of the day, even though this movie was as good as it is, it's the first rated R comic book movie we've seen in probably like the past couple of years. We haven't seen one in a while. Um, I hope going forward that bringing forth directors that'll take chances like James Gunn, like James Wan for Aquaman, like Patty Jenkins. I mean, he, he, look, it, regardless, even though Patty Jenkins threw a dud out with the Wonder Woman 1984. I will give her credit because the first movie was so great and she has another shot at it. James Gunn joining the fold. And I don't want him to take anybody main, anybody from the Trinity, no main antagonist from, um, no main protagonist from DC. I need him to do exactly what he does take on the weird and obscure characters within DC. Give him Justice League Dark. Give him Lobo. Give him Swamp Thing. Give him those type of characters that can, because there's not too many people that can do movies like that. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a reason that John Carpenter is John Carpenter, that Stephen King is Stephen King, that Jordan Peele is Jordan Peele. You know, like Jordan Peele, you don't, you're not going to see Jordan Peele doing a, a historical romantic drama. It's not his forte. You know, I it, to, to be honest, even though the Guardians movies are PG-13. You know, it's like they the way that they like are derived from 
and everything from that that place where you wouldn't necessarily think they could go, but they did. And they came out all right to the point where they became household names. And the way that he's concocting this, I it's, it's, it's pretty much this movie felt like a one off, even though there was a post credit scene. And the post credit scene only leads to the fact that James Gunn told everybody that I am doing a Peacemaker series for HBO Max. So Peacemaker made it through. It ultimately leads to his series. But what's when I think of this, I'm like, okay, is there going to be another Suicide Squad movie? I don't think so. I, you know, if if this man just wants to do one-offs of great characters within DC, let him do that. I think that's the best foot forward that you could give him. Give him your little multi-contract deal. I don't think James Gunn wants to fuck with Marvel anymore. And then do that. Because ultimately, the, the best way that we're going to get the movies and the characters in the light that they deserve is if you put in directors and writers that love the shit. Like, like if you if they love weird fucking fantasy, put the right person in there. If they are all for superheroes, put that person in. You know, it, it I remember just watching like if you watch the MCU, it's like genre heavy. Every single one is different. You know, like when you watch the Ant-Man franchise, you know, it's totally different than the MCU because of how it's just, it's just it's campy. It's supposed to be campy. Like Guardians is kind of like a space opera. That's what it is. This movie is like it would be a, if, if we didn't have the technology that we had today, this shit would be a B movie. And it'd probably be a great B movie. It's like like Big Trouble in Little China, how weird. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's weird, but I like that shit. <laughs> like Last Dragon, probably a B movie. It's weird. One of my favorite movies of all time. You know what I'm saying? There's going to be a following of people that absolutely love this shit. And then you're going to have your distractors. I mean, I keep hearing about... Um, aside from the 97% that it got on Rotten Tomatoes from all the critics is that the audience, um, the audience projections that were given through Rotten Tomatoes, a lot of Snyder loyalists have gotten on, gotten their hands on shit and have proceeded to just give, give it negative reviews without even watching the fucking movie. One director is not going to get you what you need out of connectivity within your franchise not within dc not within marvel there's different directors for every single movie except for like the infinity saga at the end which is like infinity war and endgame with the russo brothers and of course they did uh civil war so they did the more bigger team up movies but other than that there's a different director for every single one because you want a different take on it. Somebody else's personality on it. It's exactly what James Gunn does. That's what he did for Suicide Squad. That's what he did for Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know what's so hard about that. They want 
they want Snyder to just fucking like they want him to do Man of Steel. They want him to do all the Batman movies and and pretty much anything that's done with Justice League. Just do all the Justice League movies. I, I hate to break it to you, but there's there's not one story. There's never one story of any character. So you have to live with what you get. You're going to get different portrayals of it. There's a reason that comic books are retconned when they go through, when they go through a series. That's basically going back to square one. Is because storylines get tired. You have to keep giving them something fresh and new. Like they look by by the next two years between 2022 and 2023, you're gonna see there's gonna be two Batman playing at the same time. Two different ones. And nobody's going to give a shit. It's going to be Ben Affleck and Robert Pattinson. Oh, and Michael Keaton in the flash. So there's going to be three iterations of Batman. Nobody's going to give a shit. Nobody will give a shit. Nobody. (laughs) It'd be fucking five Batman at one time playing in three different theaters. Nobody will give a shit. (laughs) But I appreciate everybody rocking with me. Uh, thank you, everybody, for coming out and listening to the Facts Project. Um, one segment I do want to uh, drop on everybody is um, is a segment I'm going to do at the end of each podcast. It's called the Comic of the Day. So what I like to do, of course, if you've been following the show, is that I like to highlight a lot of indie comic book creators. And today I got in the mail Necros 2. By Deontay Colbert. I actually have it right here. Deontay Colbert was a was a guest on this show. I'm going to say around like a month ago. Just released this. Got it in the mail. Deontay, thank you. I appreciate you. This looks dope. I can't wait to read it, even though I already have. (laughs) So if you for anybody out there. Um, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, these are ways that independent comic book creators get their get their uh, their projects funded. So if you feel like you want to be a uh, be a part of the action, get on Kickstarter, get on Indiegogo, go through their comic section. You have the you have the opportunity to fund a project by a creator, feel like you put your two cents in it. And have a good time reading a great story. So to Deontay Colbert and the Necros, please look out for that. He is a part of a Soapbox Creative, very dope comic book series. And there's a lot more out there. Believe you me, I have a ton. But uh, this is James Grandmaster Facts Voice. Thank you, everybody, for supporting Small Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Facts Project. And we are out.